Hey y'all, welcome to Detoxicity, a show about progressive masculinity. I'm the show's host and producer, Mike Joseph. If you enjoy what you're hearing on the show, I kindly ask that you smash the subscribe button on whichever platform you're using to listen. Also, please don't hesitate to rate, comment, and recommend. If you have someone in your life that could get something out of the conversations we're having here, tell them about the show. Also, feel free to follow me on social media. I'm Detox Pod Guy on Instagram and Tiz Mike Joseph, that is T I S Mike Joseph on Twitter. You can even email me, detoxpod at gmail.com. Don't hesitate to reach out if you know someone who might be interested in being interviewed on the show or if you have any other ideas or constructive criticism. Most importantly, I thank you very much for listening. Stay well. My guest for this episode of Detoxicity is Mike Rublin. Uh, Mike is a social worker working primarily with Alzheimer's patients. Uh, he's a New Jersey guy through and through. He is a member of the LGBTQ community, actually an LGBTQ person of color. And uh, we go through a ton of stuff in the podcast. Um, Mike is a recovering musician, uh, so we talk a lot about that. And I try to give him some nudges to maybe get back into the swing of things as far as playing his instrument. Um, we talk about what it's like to grow up. Uh, as an LGBTQ person, uh, we talk about um, practicing what you preach, which is a, a hard thing to do when you're on the front lines of mental health and self-help and self-care, and you think about your words a lot and you try to make sure that they match your actions. Um, it's a great conversation. Mike is an awesome guy, and Mike also works with a charity called Sound Mind Live, which you should be familiar with. Uh, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, because we interviewed its founder, Chris Bullard, many episodes ago, and I have shouted out Sound Mine on many episodes of Detoxicity previously. Anyway, without further ado, here's Mike. Hey, this is Mike Rublin. Um, honored to be on the show. I do, I'm a social worker, Alzheimer's social worker, to be more specific and involved in some men's work and to create a more just and equitable society. How did you get involved in that? Actually, by accident. Okay. <laughs> One of my dearest friends, she worked for a Saki for South Asian Women, which is a nonprofit that helps support survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault, and harassment. And she invited me to a film screening that was being put on from a feminist lens men's group that didn't really have a formal name and we still don't really, but I went to a screening and just met some wonderful people and had a really intense, great conversation that was very uncomfortable. And that's why I liked it (laughs) because people took chances to just get real uncomfy. And it was a wonderful experience in Brooklyn. And ever since then, I've been involved with them. Yeah. What made the conversation uncomfortable? Oh, everything. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, the film, I can't remember exactly the name. Great film. It was a documentary that actually followed in real time a couple that had broken up and the man was controlling, manipulative, and so on. And it was following him and it's essentially an apology to her. And it it really followed her and how she was working through that. And it was this kind of almost like restorative justice type thing. And then after the film, some men spoke up probably too soon. That was uncomfortable. And they were called out rightfully so. And it was so interesting to hear the different takes on some people hating the film, some people loving it. And there wasn't much in the middle. And the filmmaker was there as well, who was, who was a male. Mm-hmm. And it was just a lot of hard truths, a lot about taking up space and how some men were actually doing it at the time. <laughs> it led to some interesting conversations. There's been, uh, over the course of the year and a half that I've been doing this podcast, there's been quite a bit of conversation. And even before that, in some of the, the groups that I was in, in the rooms that I was in, there's a lot of conversation about taking up space, whether it's white folks taking up space that should be given to people of color, straight people taking up space that should be given to queer people, men taking up space that should be given to other genders. What does taking up space and what does the concept of space like mean to you? What does that entail? I I see it as like pie. I hate to use that cliched analogy, but... (laughs) Whatever works, man. But, you know, I I think in, in a room, whether it's a physical room or especially with this pandemic, things are virtual. Some people are naturally quiet. Some people aren't. And on top of that, we talk about privilege and the the various faces of privilege. And I think 
ultimately, it's, it's something that I, I've, at least I was taught at a young age. I used to be pretty quiet. So I was told to speak up more, right? And then I had friends in classrooms who were very quiet. And I felt like the more I talked, as it became uh, less quiet over the years, that I was taking up space. I wasn't giving them the opportunity to just like, just shut the fuck up for a second. And maybe they'll feel more comfortable speaking up. So it's a little bit of a jumbled thought, but I think it looks like that. And, and then you have, you know, I have male privilege, light skinned, you know, all, all those things come to come to mind. So I, I try to, at least in my own life, as, as far as I can, to take up less space depending on where I am. And in some rooms, I take up more space because I'm queer, person of color, et cetera, et cetera. And some places, that's, that's the deal. So how do you know where the line is? I, I often wonder that as a queer person of color who sometimes does feel like, and, and I think I, I, I come from a lot of the same, in the respect that you just said that you were a quiet kid that sort of grew to use their voice. I, I relate to that story quite a bit because I think I've only found my voice within maybe the past 10 or so years. How do you know when you're taking up too much space versus how much of that is your not inhibitions, but uh, maybe introversion or, or or concern about what you're going to say. How do you know where the line is on that? I wish I had a good answer. I'm <laughs> still learning it, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, does it take somebody to be like, yo, Mike, shut the fuck up? Or, or do you self-censor yourself? I, I self-censor. And uh, to be honest, I, I think I err on the side of caution, if anything. And I, I can be a talkative person. I'm, I'm a social butterfly. It's just one of those things, especially if I had a few drinks, I'll just talk your ear off. And it's something I'm working on, honestly. I, I think the line is where, when I, I notice and stop and just like reflect for a sec, which is something I'm, I'm trying to work on more, like a pause every few sentences, which people should probably do anyway. And just seem like, is anyone else talking? No, okay. Maybe I'll just like <laughs> sit there or like ask someone for their opinion. I think the other, Cool thing and one of the I could just go on and on about how much I love my friends and I, a lot of my male friends I feel like are very in tune you know um, with the way I roll and they're quick to call me out it's you know we have such a good communicative relationship a lot of them like my best friend it was his birthday this weekend and at one point he's just like you're talking too much I'm like oh okay thanks <laughs> but like I appreciate that because I love that I want to be told that I'm like okay I need to shut the fuck up for a sec I'm taking over the conversation Radical honesty is a wonderful thing. Yeah. It's when employed properly. Yes. Yes. But I feel like if people are really about you, if people care about you, if people love you, they're going to tell you things that may be hard truths, but they know that A, you need to hear it and that you'll appreciate it. Even if you don't immediately do so, in the long run, it'll be worth having been said. So where did you grow up? Where are you from? Funny enough, I grew up 20 minutes where, I'm, where I am right now. Oh, um, well. So I grew up in Maplewood, New Jersey, and I didn't think I'd ever move back to New Jersey. I've been between California and New York City for 15 years, about. I was technically was in Brooklyn until I was seven. But yeah, I'm now in Montclair, New Jersey. And so, I don't know, hate to say I'm kind of a Jersey kid. How does it feel to be home? I mean, what is it? Uh... I love it. I, I'm a nature person at heart. For me, mental health and nature go hand in hand, at least for me. And the, the city, you know, I've been in Brooklyn most of the time and I, and I love it dearly, but I just was not, you know, I think I'm, I have like chronic anxiety, undiagnosed, but I'm an anxious person in general. And I don't believe in the idea that um, some people toss out like, oh, you're going to have the same problems wherever you go. I'm like, that's might be true, but I think environment actually does play a factor into how we process things, how we respond to things, our energies, et cetera, et cetera. Some people are just more attuned to it or not. So I'm happy to be here. It's a little bit weird, but um, <laughs> I get to say hi to my parents, which is cool. You're right. They're good folks. Growing up, was your quietness due to anything other than being a quiet person? Was there anxiety with regards to the way you looked or your sexual orientation or anything like that growing up? Yeah, there was a number. It's actually something that 
I just started therapy recently and it's something I've been exploring finally for the first time. Congratulations. Thank you. I was bullied a lot as a kid, which is something people that get to know me. They're like, you're so social. I plan parties. I don't coordinate or do all these things and, and, and more outspoken. And growing up, I was really quiet because I was bullied and I was afraid. I was terrified of saying something considered stupid or that would get me more bullied. It was mostly verbal tons of physical in middle school, unfortunately, which was slightly traumatic. Yeah, I just figured they're going to do it anyway. But like, the more I just keep quiet, the less that might happen to me, you know, and I was very depressed. I had a, I had a great childhood, I, I think, overall, but the years that I was bullied was really hard, really hard. And I think it's stuff that still, I thought I kind of process it and it still comes up here and there. You mm. know? I think it manifests in like a fear of rejection and wanting more social acceptance. And it's something that I just started processing in like the past few weeks, actually really digging in deep and doing that work. So was the bullying, do you think the bullying was geared towards anything specific or was it just, yes. here's a quiet cater, here's the, you know, whatever. Um, I think it was funny enough. I, well, part of it, I think is I was a really short kid and yes, I was quiet and probably pretty awkward <laughs> socially. I think it didn't help. Well, when I was in middle school, I was sent to a private school because I have like a slight learning disability that affected, you know, I, I just, I needed to be in a smaller classroom and have more attention and yada, yada, yada. And I went and there's a lot of wealthy conservative white kids. And I felt like as one of the few brown people in the school, I was short, I was quiet, and I was just an easy target. And maybe it's something now they'd realize like, oh, that was kind of, you know, and I didn't identify as queer at the time, but I, I guess people just, people said, you're so gay. You don't even know it yet. And I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. So it was a combination of those things. So yeah, and for, I, I think nowadays these people might be like, yo, like, damn, I was like racist back then, or I was, you know, whatever, or bigoted. And I don't know if they've done that work. I've kind of moved on, but yeah, I think that's where a lot of it stemmed from. On one hand, I think about kids and in some cases they don't know better. In some cases they're projecting. How much of bullying do you think just involves, for lack of a better term, bad parenting? Like, Interestingly, the one guy, well, obviously not named, was actually sent to uh, juvenile detention. Like, like a juvie hall? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. He ended up beating up one of my friends so bad that he had like a purple arm for like a number of days and the kid told his mom and the bully tried to bully his way out of it is like oh if you tell my mom you're like a weak and you're a pussy blah blah blah, blah. but he did he's like yeah my arm's purple but and uh, and that could have been me you know i was on that same bus that it happened i just happened to miss the bus that day oh wow um but where's i going with this you know in, interestingly enough um, a few people, well, two people that were kind of not bullying me, but had been friends with the bullies because I think they were just scared to be bullied themselves actually reached out to me years later. And they're like, yo, we're so sorry about that. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of forgiveness and accepting where you can. And I was like, thank you. Like, I forgive you. And it made me feel certainly lots of feelings, but I, I, I think deep down, they, they maybe knew what they did was wrong. But interestingly enough, the one who got sent to juvenile, um, we found out later that his, his dad beat the crap out of him all the time and hurt people, hurt, hurt people, you know? It's hurt people, hurt people. So it doesn't make me feel good that that happened, but it also like brings me a sense, sense of end and, uh, or sympathy rather. And just, I was like, you know what? If for a second there, you know, it was a terrible way to process things, but if it helped him get something out instead of, you know, God forbid, like taking his own life or self-harm, you know what? I toughed it out and I wish him well, you know. That is very mature. <laughs> have that moment. <laughs> I, you know, I feel like some people would be like, fuck that dude. But uh, no, I get still it. that sentiment. Yeah, fuck that. But not, you can say that and also not wish harm on them. That's true. That's a very good point. Were you always this thoughtful? I guess so. I've been told that. It's uh, so many people have told me because of that, that's why I should go into social work and switch careers. So I guess so. And it's also, I think it's something that people find, used to find me an easy target and not even just bullying, like kind of walking all over. People. Sure. So I, I've had to, it's interesting finding that balance. 
you had to have certain fortitude and strength while also being, you know, compassionate and understanding. It's actually, I'm going to be getting my first tattoo, hopefully with my brother, but I'm trying to get two. And one of them is a Venn diagram that says soft on one side and fierce on the other. And the fierce is in this like soft pinkish hue and the, um, the fear, yeah. And the soft is like a darker, like more robust color and just trying to be in the middle. So that's, that's like always been in the back of my mind. Like, how do I find this balance to stand up for myself and stand up for others while also being from a place of compassion? Oh, I was, I was, I thought you were going to mention the other tattoo too. Oh yeah. So it's going to be a blue rose in honor of my sister who unfortunately passed just the beginning or before the pandemic. Her middle name was Rose. Thank you. And it's just really powerful. Her favorite color is blue. So I was going to get a matching one with my brother. I'm not totally sure yet where, but I'm really looking forward to it. I think that's, I've always been not anti-tattoo, but just, I figured I'd never get one, but a lot has changed in the past two years. And that's something I'm looking forward to. I'm feeling really good about. For so many of us, yeah, uh, things, things have changed quite a bit. I, you know, I don't see softness and fierceness as mutually exclusive. Ooh. And I don't know, I, as you're talking, I'm thinking, right? And there was a point in time when I probably would have seen them as opposite qualities, but there's a way to be thoughtful and kind and generous and also not take any crap from people. Finding that balance is probably not very easy, but I think that's kind of where for humanity, people kind of live their best lives, right? Like it's being able to be graceful and forgiving and all of those good qualities. And also at the same time being like, yo, I'm not taking any crap from anybody. I'm gonna be very intentional about the way that I live and the way that I treat people. And I'm not going to take slack. I, I wonder how more people can get to that point, or at least to the point where they don't necessarily see softness, where, where they don't see fierceness as hardness necessarily where it's not bitterness or anger, but where it's just sort of knowing who you are. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I think there's something to be said where, yeah, that's such a, it's such a good point you bring up because I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I think that people that haven't done a certain amount of work, men in particular, you know, they, they don't, necessarily see it maybe deep down but it's not something they'll openly acknowledge because that is seen as weak and you know i i highly suggest if you if you can there's so many groups out there doing the work and the men's group that i'm in helps me to engage that part of myself better and it's actually we were doing a lot of actions and some political stuff for a while but now we're just focused it's almost like a support group actually it's just we, we call it men supporting men it used to be men uprooting patriarchy, but it's just, we don't want to rely on the emotional labor of the woman in our lives. You know, a lot of them are in relationships and serious relationships and we just were there for each other and we like have some hard convos. And I, I, I think that's helping to engage that, that part of myself and helping with that balance in general. That's awesome. And I have so many follow-up questions as, as a result of that. Do you think that do you think that your queerness has lessened your patriarchal thinking, or do you think that it didn't matter? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I, I wonder for myself, actually. Yeah, I, I, I think so, and that's actually something I really want to think about. Um, I believe so, because when I was growing up, it's something I used to hide or that like I wasn't fully sure of, you know, if we live in a different society, maybe be like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Like, it's not, you know, it's not frowned upon and there's a lot to unpack there, but I, I, I believe so. And despite how awful things are for so many people in the LGBTQ community right now, we're living in a particular time where it is more acceptable and it's tolerated, welcome, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel fortunate to be alive right now with this progress. I definitely can't say the same for everybody else, but just for how I feel about it, um, it's a privilege to be alive with that. So it makes it a little bit easier, I think, on all of us. I agree. I, as someone, I think I got a few years on you. I do come from an era when it was not as, you know, pre-social media, pre-internet, there wasn't as much strength in numbers. 
as, as there is now. But also, how does that inform the men's work that you do? Because assuming all orientations are welcome and it, it's a, an honesty, openness-based forum, how does that affect things or does it affect things when it comes to relating situations from one to another or discussing toxic masculinity or, or patriarchy or however you want to term it? Does that come into play at all? Not so much. You know, it, it depends on the size of the group and who's there. Most of the men in this group identify as straight, you know, cis, cis men. And so for me, it's just not something that come up much. And I think part of that is also just because I've been focused on a lot of other things or a lot of other characteristics that we've involved very politically with, obviously, since Trump. And, but it hasn't come up so much. Probably should. Honestly. But again, this is the work we're doing and having those uncomfortable conversations. It's like, hey, just so you know, um, it's a reminder. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It's, I follow you on social media and you make so many great points in regards to the political landscape and the rights of whether it's rights of women, rights of trans people, rights of people of color, rights of indigenous people, you know, kind of all over the place. It's, as an activist, I realize that what we do and the way that we live is important. How do you balance kind of the cycle of all of the bullshit happening with like, hey, I want to live my life? Uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I could do a lot better with that. I Yeah, I've definitely, I mean, this pandemic's made it harder, obviously, but people joke with me about this and it's something I joke about, but in the real, real is... I don't practice my self-care and mental wellness as much as I should and as much as I preach about it. So again, finding that balance is really important, which is why I'm really excited that I'm going back to therapy because that's been really helpful. Just in the past few weeks, I can just tell I'm more balanced energy-wise. You know, I have a little bit less anxiety. But yeah, I mean, there have been times where I have had breakdowns for sure, you know? And I tend to do this thing, which I'm sure I could find other coping mechanisms along the way where I avoid it, but... I'll have every few months, I'm just taking on too much. I'm involved in a million things. I have my feet in a million different pools. And yeah, I've had a semi breakdown. I call it maybe like two and a half months ago. And I just turned off my phone. I went camping by myself for a weekend and just do intense hikes. And I've, I've gone backpacking and I'll just shut out to the world. And I come back totally refreshed. And it's a great thing. And it's a healthy coping mechanism. And I should probably find more to do before it gets to that point. But it's also kind of nice because I won't camping. So <laughs> it, it's that in terms of coping mechanisms is like one of the more wholesome <laughs> coping mechanisms that I've heard. I mean, there are people that do things a lot darker than camping to, <laughs> once they've hit their, their breaking point. So kudos to you for doing something productive or good with your, you know, with your energy. What else are you trying to like do for self-care besides therapy? What do you think you need to do to sort of avoid the breaking point or at least acknowledge that things are leading up to a point before you get there and you're like, ah. And it's something I've only been doing more recently, honestly, is practicing mindfulness. I have a mindful journal that I started keeping over the pandemic after I had a really bad burnout from work and I wish I had it in front of me, but it's been a few weeks since I've, I've entered anything, but I try to do it in the morning and it'll list the, the trigger, the symptom or like what's manifesting in my body, what somatic response, are my teeth clenched, are my shoulders like shrugged up, am I, am I, is my jaw, is my jaw hard, you know, whatever. And then I'm like, all right, what did I try to do? And I'll be typing it as I'm doing it. So it's like really keeping me in check and holding myself accountable. And the times I do that are so, so helpful. And the big thing for me is box breathing. So you're like, you're, you're, you're breathing in for four seconds, like one line of the box, you're holding it for four, you're breathing out for four seconds, holding it for four, and you make a box and you do that like four or five, six times, every, as many as you do until you're feeling more focused. And I've, I've been doing that. And I just, I love it. Breathe in through the nose, breathe out through the mouth. And it's, you know, I've woken up so many times anxious in the morning and it's a terrible feeling. I mean, it sets your energy for the rest of the day. And when I've been doing that, it might not be the hundred percent, you know, the cure, but it helps a lot. 
and I've just noticed a huge difference. And I mean, in that sense, like I'm more productive and I'm more clear headed. So it has numerous benefits. That's, that's pretty awesome. It's, is that something that you actually are able to do consistently or is it like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then a week goes by and you're like, shit, I forgot to do it. Other ladder. (laughs) It's funny because I run a support group through work and I'm one of those people that preaches self-care and I don't do it enough myself. I, I dish it out, but you know, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I think running the support group, we were on a hiatus for a little bit from the summer. Um, people were away, but coming back into it, I haven't told them this, but it actually helps me more than, than anything, I feel. I hold the space, but it, it holds myself accountable to make sure I'm doing what I preach. So we, we do talk a lot about how, you know, practice self-care. It almost seems like another chore that you have to add to your list when you're already doing a million things and you're burnt out and the pandemic's made us, I think most people more easily fatigued. So it sounds like another chore. But I think it's a lot of that is just like reframing and making it a daily habit. And even if it's a chore, that's okay, because you're going to feel better in the end. So that is something that I would like to work on. And probably after this, I will do <laughs> some mindfulness. This is nice. the kind of thing that helps me stay accountable, you know. Nice. As someone who runs a support group and someone who has invested himself in, in men's work or, or, or work with men, what do you think are like the biggest issues that we just need to get the hell over? What are the things that are blocking our progress that are easily surmountable? What's the shit that we can't get out of our own way about? Um, I think a lot of it is mental health oriented. And, you know, obviously we, we work with Sound Mind and that's one of the reasons I love that organization so much, you know, music and mental health. We need to find ways to normalize when we're feeling upset, sad, angry, all those things. I have a lot of work to do on that end. I already know, like, for example, when I get sad, it, it expresses itself in anger, right? So when I post sometimes from a dark place and it sounds really angry, I'm probably just sad, you know? feeling helpless. And I think a lot of men do that too. We're kind of indoctrinated to, to suppress emotions. And I think we can't do the work and make change within ourselves, which is where the change really needs to start, unless we address those emotions when they come up. Because if not, what's the point? Yeah. So I think a lot of it is, is just clear, simple. It's just mental health. And there's a lot of work to do around there. So the support group I'm in, we, that's really helpful. Like, you know, I cried in front of these guys. I've had really dark moments and be like, you know what? I did something stupid today or I feel like a piece of shit because I wronged someone. And just being able to practice raw vulnerability is just vital to getting anything done, you know? What's the first step for a lot of guys and I mean, people of other genders, although I think that this is more of a stereotypically masculine trait, to even like acknowledge, hey, I have a problem and I need to do something before you end up in legal trouble or you end up losing a job or you end up with a DUI or you end up doing something stupid. What are steps to nip that in the bud, especially for our brothers who are in places where the culture is maybe less evolved, I guess, you know, for, for the folks who are not in cities where things are a little bit more cosmopolitan and there are groups like this that are maybe easier to access. Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of the quandary, right? Because how do you reach those people? Like I'm in this group and we're, we're very tight knit, but I think part of it is there needs to be more groups like this or just more networks. It can be on Facebook, you know, whatever the case may be and to reach out to this. Maybe actually changing the language or like when I say patriarchy in, in my stories, a lot of my followers are get it. They're like, yeah, you know, yeah, that's a big weird. But if I want to reach men that don't really understand it, they hear patriarchy, they're like, oh, this is some feminist bullshit, blah, blah, blah. So I would actually like, <laughs> I'm sure you've seen it. I would actually alter the language depending on the room I'm trying to address, right? So when I comment on a Facebook page, a Facebook post or, you know, whatever that's, you know, written by a woman and, and some men are, are bashing, I don't use words like feminism, patriarchy. I kind of get to their level a little bit when I'm not angry. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I can shit post, but the rest of the time I'm trying to like, hey, 
have you thought about it this way? Ask an open-ended question, you know, meet them where they're at. Like, hey, I, I kind of see where you're going with this. And you, you, that must put them in a place of hurt. What are you really trying to, you know, like those hard conversations and they're hard. It's, it's, it's I don't know, all fucking annoying, but. <laughs> and some of those, you know, they just tune out and others. I had, a, I had a really good conversation on like a, a comment back and forth. And they actually added me as a friend and messaged me like, hey man, thanks for, you know, shining some light on this. I haven't think about that. It's like, cool dude, you know. I think I said cool bro. He said like, he's a lot of pros. Cool bro. so I, had to, I had to bro him back. <laughs> you know, you got to meet people where they're at. Exactly. Nothing wrong with throwing a bro in every now and then. <laughs> I, I overuse that word. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah, usually I land them. <laughs> oh, cool bro. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Another interesting kind of doing the work question. Do you feel as someone who does do the work that you have to set a standard for yourself I guess it, it's related to what do they call it? Imposter syndrome, kind of. Mm -hmm. Do you ever fuck up and you're like, shit, what kind of example am I setting? What am I doing? Like, you know, I feel like a fraud. We'll put it this way all the fucking time. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is, that is a hard thing, you know? And I kind of, so much to unpack there, but I, I tend to self, set myself to a high standard and can get down to myself when I, when I do that. And that's, part of my own work to adjust the work I'm doing, you know, that is something I could really improve on, honestly. And I, I think I have, but it's to also think like, look, you're normal, like apologize, take up less space, do you got to do, people are accept your apology or not, just try to do better. And I think that's something we have to constantly tell ourselves because if we're not uncomfortable, if we're not fucking up, we're not learning, we're not growing, like what's, what's the expression? Like change is messy or else it wouldn't be changed. Right, yeah. right. I, I've talked to quite a few people who call themselves coaches or, or art therapists or, you know, deal in men's work. And one thing that frustrated me in the early going was a lot of the people I spoke to kind of coming from a place of, of hierarchy where they're like, I'm enlightened, I'm a llama, I'm a yogi or whatever it is, almost putting themselves in a position where they're like some kind of guru. And that just always makes me uncomfortable because I'm like, those are the people that fuck up the most, it feels like. And I think just as a human being, it's easier to relate to somebody who is like, yo, I'm dealing with this shit just like you are. I'm just trying to maybe show you a way to deal with it that might be different or better than the way you're dealing with it or not dealing with it at all uh, right now. Like it's, it's coming from a place of wanting to help as opposed to being like, I'm gonna write the book on all this and, and you're going to have to follow me. Right, absolutely. And it's interesting because I feel like there's so many, well, social media accounts like A Call to Men or Justin Baldoni, I don't know if you know, and that do it really well. And you can tell they're good at apologizing there, but they have a big following. And I'm sure they get a lot of calling out when they need to be called out and i'm sure you know they sh what you show on your social media is usually not so much what's going on deep down you know i'm sure they're hurting when these things happen it's very uncomfortable for them and then when they sign off they're like oh my god <laughs> but hey i'm just glad that they have a big following and that you know people like justin who i just really love or ted bunch on call to men like when they're wrong they're like this is fucked up this is part of the work and they're just radical, raw vulnerability, you know? And that inspires me. Right. You know, like, yes, you're going to fuck up. Like, don't even think I may fuck up. Like, you are going to fuck up. It just like accept it and do better. And like, do you got to do? Here's a question that I wonder if you've been asked before. Uh, and I'm sure you've been asked it in much more crude terms. Does it bother you or do, is it something that, often comes to mind that you are kind of ethnically inscrutable. <laughs> yeah, that comes up all the time. Okay. It's, yeah, I am, so I'm adopted from Guadalajara, Mexico, which is a very mixed city. It's like a European-esque city in Mexico. So I think you see a lot of people who look mixed race. I've never met my birth parents. I have tried, but I, I really haven't gotten that far. And it's just a different system for adoption down there. It's not so easy to track. With that being said, I'm assuming my mom was mixed race or I'm assuming, you know, whoever she was with was, you know, 
some of it may be lighter skinned. I, I don't know. But yeah, I get that all the time. And you add on to that, I'm not religious at all, but like, you know, my family's Jewish and people are like, Mexican Jew, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, er the assumption is that, or my assumption is that they exist and not something you see on a regular basis, but. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a bar mitzvah? I did, I did. Wow. Oh man, yeah, that's gotta be an interesting thing to kind of contend with. Cause I, I, you must like, people must be like, so what are you? Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> and interestingly enough, so I've worked in, I've worked in the service industry for years, kitchen, mostly front of house, but I, you know, I felt, I, I felt a, a sense of shame in a way when they realized, like, especially kitchen staff realized I didn't speak full Spanish, Spanish, <laughs> as I say, Spanish. And uh, like, I had one guy like, you know, you don't speak Spanish, like you're a disgrace. And I was like, damn. And it's one of those internalized things that stuck with me. And I've like forced myself to start, you know, taking Spanish lessons online again because of that. And now I'm just happy I'm doing it. But yeah, I, I do get a lot. Like, what are you? Or like, people just start talking to me in Spanish. And I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know some curse words. because <laughs> I, I mean, every, every, you know, if you live in the tri-state area, everyone yeah. knows how everyone knows how to speak a little bit of spanish and you know coño and, and and all that shit is is that's the first stuff you learn yep yeah and i when i was living in california i mean everyone speaks spanish ah, right right yeah, yeah so you've been in the the hotbeds for bilingual living yeah in, yeah. in the u.s yeah exactly <laughs> what, what's the next step for you like what do you see is kind of the the next the next level up in the evolution? Ooh, damn, that's a, that's a good question. I will say this. I had a lot of ideas before the pandemic. The pandemic has just been like, I'm just getting by day by day, you know? I think like a lot of us are. I have a sense that I'm gonna enter politics now that I'm in Montclair and it feels much more manageable. I mean, there's definitely a lot of like small town gossip for real, but I it, it seems much more manageable. I've been Tip my feet in Montclair Mutual Aid and, and a number of Montclair, I'm on the board for the Montclair um, Gateway to Aging Program. So senior services and slowly becoming more like public health oriented and just taking all these projects, maybe doing a little too much, but I'm starting to get my name out there. I might be working on the campaign for this person who's going for, for council that I actually do a community gardening project with. So it's just, I guess, long story short, what I'm getting at is I will probably end up in politics whether I want to or not. <laughs> <laughs> what what it is, okay, I was going to say, what's the end game for that? That I don't know yet. I... I feel like someone with my anxiety and just my, you know, in my shit posting, I probably will not do much bigger than anything super local because it's just, it just sounds, you know, I, I almost in a weird way, like feel for politicians, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, just because I can't imagine the level of stress with the public eye constantly on you. Like you can't really lead a simple life, you know, and at, at my age, like I just, you know, I'm just, I'm just tired more easily. I just don't want to deal with this. Like this bullshit. Like I'm emotionally fatigued. <laughs> like I can't have people yelling at me online. Like fuck that. <laughs> oh, come on, Mike, you're a young man. You, can, you, can, you know, I just don't, I'm at the edge. I'm just like, you know, I'm over the bullshit. I don't want to deal with it. And like, I'll tell someone to their face if I'm like, no, you think it's there. And I feel like that's going to get me in trouble online. If I get, if I do something bigger than very local. So I'm very comfortable doing something very local. And I think that's just because I want to, and I am very community minded in general. And I just love where I live so much. And it's a very progressive town. It's a, it's a huge town, very, very progressive. I mean, there's like four train stations here. It's like huge, but um, there's a lot to be involved with. And I, I personally think, you know, most things are political, if not everything. And yeah, one thing that came up in 2016 that has always stuck with me and I don't think the average person really realizes it, is how easy it is to get involved in politics at the local level. Absolutely. And I think this pandemic and honestly, probably like Trump presidency has helped people who were never involved politically, people that didn't vote. And so much has occurred, so much divisiveness over the past year that I think they're like, yeah, this was actually really easy. Like I can exercise my right to have an opinion and change things. And it's the curse and the blessing of like, all these evils over the past few years, people are feeling, I think, more inspired and empowered to do something, get off the chair and, you know, it affects us all right now.
yeah, I mean, I, I think back to when I was younger and it's sort of like all of these issues seem so many steps above where I as a layperson, you know, and a poor layperson and, and, and somebody who didn't feel like they had a voice or any kind of power could access. And, you know, again, like post, mostly post 2016, but even in the years leading up to that, I would say in like the post Michael Brown, Trayvon, post 2013, 2014, it's been like, oh, like, my being is politicized. You know what I'm saying? Like, why don't I just take this that has that I've that that's that's become my circumstance anyway, and try to use it, whether it's to try to make things right for my community or whether it's to give other people the impetus to kind of find the qualities in themselves that that are political. But it's it's really interesting how it really is just one person doing one little thing can cause a domino effect or just give other people the strength to find their voices and create a groundswell. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah, the butterfly effect. It's, uh, and we talked about normalizing mental health, for example, and you have a big following in your social media. And I think people see you as a, which you are a compassionate person and understanding person, you know, you, you speak a lot of truth. And I, I think for that, I, I have a love-hate relationship with social media, but <laughs> I think we all do. It's fairly unhealthy. But um, if you reach just one person and normalize something like that, who knows? Maybe you saved someone from being yelled at unnecessarily that day. Maybe you um, help reduce their anxiety for the day that would have manifested in some negative energy and the chain reaction that comes from it. And God knows, maybe you saved a life, you know. But that's, that's very important. I, I think it's, again, important to, to voice print, especially if you have a, that kind of following, like, to, to, to really use it for good. Yeah. I mean, for all the shit that social media gets, and rightfully so, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is a devil. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty bad. Yeah, the fact that exactly what you said, someone can say something positive or impactful, and to even just have it hit one person makes it worthwhile. And that if there was someone in the middle of the country or in another country, in a, in a repressive country that had gender dysphoria issues, they probably felt like they were the only person that existed in the world like that. And other people like that was just something you could not access. Whereas now you can go on Twitter and there are you know, trans, non-binary, agender, dysphoric people all over the place. It's so easy to access. And it, it's as simple as saying there's strength in numbers. So you see all of these, whether it's, you know, people on the queer spectrum, on the gender spectrum, people with alternative relationship structures, all that stuff is groundswelling because the internet has sort of democratized all of these things and made it easier to access. So if you're in Utah or Kansas or Missouri or Russia, you're not sitting there like, oh my God, I'm the squarest peg in the roundest hole and there's nobody out there like me. Now it's like, oh, you know, there's an army. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, again, that curse and the blessing. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. I, it's helped me, you know. Likewise. Way. Yeah. It's helped me quite a bit. It's the, yeah. I mean, for all the bad that exists in the internet on the World Wide Web, there's definitely good to be gained from it as well. 100%. Okay. Yeah. So jump into SoundMind. What what was the impetus for you getting involved with it? You know, we work pretty closely with NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness. And I have gone to support groups when I was essentially a caregiver for my sister. She had some profound, profound um, mental health conditions that ultimately led to her passing. And I needed support. And I, on top of that, you know, SoundMind is focused on music and mental health and destigmatizing mental health through the power of music because you know music is universal right as you know um, indeed preaching the choir and i am obsessed with music and i'm a former musician i'm a piano player for you know 18 20 years and that was my outlet growing up so when i heard about it, i was like okay this is the most perfect organization like ever okay i'm gonna i'm gonna do that i i had helped with some event a, a while ago my friend luisa had referred me to like hey see if you can volunteer this one day and the rest is history so they, they do such great stuff. 
Yeah. Such wonderful stuff. Great. Give, give Great. a shout out to Chris, who is, uh, as we record this, is in Nashville right now, being a rock star. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm watching all of his, all of the Wax Owls IG stories and looking at Chris being goofy. And I'm like, oh, he's having a blast down there. I'm sure he is. Wonderful. What, why'd you give up the piano? Or why'd you stop playing? Interesting. Like, you know, definitely focus on other things in life. Also, piano is real fucking expensive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most instruments are, but piano, and it's not that cool to just kind of lug around, you know, you can take a guitar anywhere you want. I had a really nice keyboard, and someone spilled beer on it, and it just slowly faded away. It just slowly got destroyed. There was like an octave that didn't work, and I, I was still performing with it, and I would just, I was like, I can't solo on this high octave. <laughs> it was just oh, super awkward. Man. So it's something that I told myself I'd do last winter and just invest in the keyboard and because it is such a good stress release like really keeps me in tune that I that I want to do this winter I just want to get a keyboard and just do it piano that I grew up with at my folks house so when I'm there I'll, I'll jam out on the piano or if I've had a few drinks and there's one at a bar I might jump on so nice. I'm not totally done and people start requesting stupid shit like play piano oh man well I gotta I gotta see drunk Mike play the piano well, I get into it. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. I want the passionate, passionate piano playing. Oh yeah, I, I get, I get real into it. Um, right I was at Montclair Jazz Fest yesterday. Wonderful, wonderful occasion. Uh, like five stages, and the whole time I was like, ah, oh, man, this is like giving me such a, oh, I want to go back to music vibe. Right? Do you get FOMO? Is is when you see people on stage, are you just like oh, yeah. itching to be like? Yeah, the itch is real. It's uh, my my brother is like a pretty well known musician in the band American Authors, and uh, you know every now and then I see a concert, and he did like the sweetest thing. I, I love him so much. We're like really close. He knows I was having some FOMO, and he he played a show in California. I had a bunch of friends and family come out too, and I was kind of backstage, you know, chilling. And all of a sudden he's like, "And by the way, welcome, Mike Rubin, everybody." Up to and I was like, "Wait, what the fuck?" <laughs> he just threw it on me. He's like, "Get your ass up here!" and Next thing I know, I was singing with him, and you know, on some famous song that we're playing, and it was just, it made my heart so, so joyful. And it's just why he is, you know, I always, I always make fun of him and joke around, but he's just one of the, the truest, sweetest human beings over me. Like he was just so full of compassion, and it was just, you know, I knew that he made my day. It was, it was a wonderful time. So that's awesome. I don't know if there was anything that you wanted to that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover. I will say this. Interestingly enough, when my sister passed, right? Um, beautiful story is that she passed, which is obviously a big part of my life, right? So many friends, you know, came out, and especially, you know, the women were very supportive and during a lot of men in my life that hadn't hadn't spoken to a while and maybe were, you know throughout the bro word a lot and you know we're kind of give you the, the, the bro hug yeah we're just so full of compassion and so vulnerable and so supportive and it actually made me closer with them than ever before and as I am a firm believer everything in life is a curse and a blessing you know and that was one of maybe her departing gifts and it's just so beautiful so I, I I just if you can't I love my friends dearly everybody give it up for Mike I appreciate talking to somebody who is trying to walk the talk, and uh, Mike is definitely trying to do that. If you want to follow him on social media, hit him up on Instagram. His Instagram handle is a victory rose. Uh, that is a victory rose, and he's he's got one of the better Instagrams out there. So uh, make sure you give him a follow. Um, and I want to again bring up Sound Mind Live, particularly with the benefit concert coming up on October twenty first, which Presuming, presuming that you are listening to this live uh, is uh, just about a week from now. Um, this show is called Unheard Mentality. It is taking place at Brooklyn Bowl. So if you're local to New York City, go online and get a ticket. Uh, there will be performances by multiple Grammy winner Fantastic Negrito as well as Langhorne Slim. Once again, it is a mental health benefit show coming during Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, recently, it was Mental Health Awareness Week. So uh, make sure that you check that out. And real quick, I just want to say that I uh, fully support the trans community. There's been a lot of conversation lately about the trans community in light of Dave Chappelle's special uh, recently on Netflix. And um, there's been some fallout from that. 
And I, up until now, was a huge Dave Chappelle fan. Uh, I think he's incredibly funny. Still think he's very funny and a sage in a lot of ways. But just because someone is a sage in some ways doesn't mean they're not completely ass backwards in some other ways. And given the fact that uh, the LGBTQ community, particularly trans people, are, are very targeted right now. And um, all you got to do is look online at the amount of people, trans people who are being killed, uh, who are being harassed, who are being thrown out of schools, thrown out of their homes. Um, to make light of, of these people's situation is, I think, just sort of irresponsible. And uh, I canceled my Netflix subscription, not to Virtue Signal, but I guess that's what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I really think we need to look at the accountability that we hold the people that we admire to, you know, and we need to call them out when they're wrong. And uh, Dave Chappelle, you got to do better. So uh, just, again, to say that I'm fully in support of the trans community, you know, even as a cisgendered man, I, I don't know what it's like to feel like you were born in the wrong gender, but I can certainly empathize. And, um, you know, I understand what it's like to not feel like yourself from being in the closet as a person, uh, as a queer person for such a long time. So uh, just know that I stand with you and I support you. Thanks again for listening to this episode. We really hope that you stick around and listen to future episodes or past episodes if you feel so inclined. You can obviously listen to Detoxicity on the podcast platform of your choosing. And if you want to get in touch with me, please hit me up on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy, Twitter, TizMikeJoseph, or you can email me at DetoxPod at gmail.com. Always willing to hear constructive criticism, thoughts, ideas, realizations and if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show or you know somebody who would make a good guest i will take recommendations from now until the end of time so please feel free to reach out to me i want to thank a couple of people who've been very important to this show uh calvin williams composed the music that you hear at the beginning and end of every episode jacob block composed the logo or created the logo for the show and i want to give a special shout out to andrew grossman and jeff giles for providing inspiration for me to come up with this idea and bring it to fruition once again thank you all for listening i really really appreciate it and take care of yourselves peace